you turn with me to two openings, if you would. 1 Samuel, the second chapter, again. And 2 Timothy, the second chapter. 1 Samuel 2. 2 Timothy 2. In 1 Samuel 2, down in the 30th verse, the Lord made a wonderful statement that is blessed and at the same time sobering. 1 Samuel 2.30, he said, Them that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Them that honor me, God says, I will honor. Those that despise me, they'll be lightly esteemed. And really, that's a in-Scripture definition of the word despise. Oftentimes, you'll see the Lord say something, and the next phrase resets it in a way that might click with you better than the first way. And uh, in the Bible, so many times, when, the, when he's talking about the word despise, he actually Mean, he's not talking about that you just can't stand it and are disgusted with it. It just means that you don't find it valuable. You lightly esteem it. And uh, I think with Christians, you know, now with sinners and people outside the covenant, you have people that absolutely despise God's men and women. They despise the preaching and teaching. They, they, I mean, they detest it. They abhor it. And we know that's despising. But here is something that we as Christians need to be aware of. He, the man of God in this previous several verses had told Eli that he had honored his sons above God. And I don't think Eli was consciously making an effort to do that. I don't think he meant to do that. But he wound up doing that in the eyes of God. And these boys of his were lightly esteeming the offerings and they were... I mean, anytime you steal an offering, you're not honoring the offering of God. Right? You're touching something that's God. Any, and they are committing fornication and violating and breaking the commandments of God. Well, see, they're despising the commandments. According to the Lord, that, to break His commandment is to despise His commandment. One of the most classic examples in the word of despising has to do with Esau. If you go back a few uh, pages to Genesis, Genesis 25, you know the story, but let's just take time to read it just a bit. Israel had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And do you remember that the scripture says in more than one place that the Lord said even before they were born, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. I mean, why would the Lord say that about somebody before they're born? Because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what kind of man, what kind of woman they'll be, what kind of character they'll have. Well, what is it that he hated about Esau? What was it that he detested? Well, right back to our text. Those that honor me, I will honor. Those that despise me, will be lightly esteemed or despised, or you could say even hated. Well, by right of his being the firstborn, Esau should have had the inheritance, he should have had the birthright, he should have had the blessing. 
And it wasn't just something from men, but it was something that God had established. How many know that God had said much about the firstborn? And the blessing and the birthright. And you know that he, came, he was a hunter, and he was unsuccessful in his hunting on one occasion, and he came in and was starved, famished, and Jacob was cooking some, some uh, pottage or soup or whatever, you know. And uh, he said, you know, give me some of that soup. Give me some of that uh, red pottage, the King James says. And uh, Jacob looked at him and said, sell me your birthright. You want some soup? Give me the birthright. Now you might think, well, you know, that Jacob, he was a rascal. He's a deceiver. He's a trickster. And he was. But you know, one redeeming quality about him, he knew what was valuable. <laughs> right? He knew that this is, this is something in the eyes of God. This is valuable. So he wants it. And you know, he went in there and remember he, he tricked his dad later on? Put those goat skins on his arm and back of his neck and wore some of Esau's clothes and not only got the birthright, got the blessing too. And you might say, well, that's sorry, Rascal. Well, he was. I mean, he, he was a, you know, a tricker and a deceiver, but I said there is the redeeming quality that he knew what was valuable, whereas Esau didn't. Esau, notice what he said in verse 32, when Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. Now let's just stop right there. He's home. Mama's house is just right up the corner. How many know you, no way you're going to die two blocks from Mama's house. <laughs> right? How many understand he could have walked, he could have said, what? My birthright? You got to be joking. And he could have went somewhere else, right? I know he was hungry, but he's home. He's back home. He made it home. Somebody would have fed him. Mama will always feed you. But notice what he did. He said... I'm starving to death. And what good is this birthright going to do me? Jacob said, swear to me today. So he said, all right, I swear to you. You can have the birthright. And he sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. He did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. It's not that he stood up and stomped and said, I can't stand this birthright. I don't want this old bad birthright. No, he just said, what good is it? What good is it? And that's what we don't want to happen with us. Any of the precious and the valuable things of God, we want to see them as valuable and precious. And never esteem something lightly and take it for granted. You remember that Hebrews talks about, what is it, the 12th chapter, that later on, you remember after Jacob came in and got the blessing also that went with the birthright, he got both of them, birthright and the blessing, that then Esau came in later and, and, and his father Israel said, well, I've already blessed 
uh, your younger brother. And he is blessed, too. He'll, it, it'll affect, it's effective. He'll be blessed. He got it. And he said, well, don't you have a blessing for me? And, and he cried, and he saw afterwards the value of it. But Hebrews 12 said it was too late. It was too late. You know, you and I live in the realm of time. We do not have unlimited amounts of it. And there are seasons in our life that if we don't seize them, and we don't take our opportunities, then we can miss it. And if we don't count something as valuable and see it as valuable at that time, later on we can look back and see it was valuable, but it could be too late. You know, one of the moving points that's recorded in Jesus' ministry is that he went up to a place that overlooked the city of Jerusalem, and he began to cry, began to weep, and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, I would have gathered you like a mother hen does her chicks, but you wouldn't. The Bible said he came unto his own, and his own received him not. I mean, he is the, 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 the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings. And they treated him like the worst criminal nailed him to a cross. They despised God's gift. And he, he said, you know, you did not know the time of your visitation. It is such with human beings that so many times people don't know what they're in till it's past. They don't know what they've got till they lose it. People are blind. And always looking for something better and always waiting for later. And, you know, taking people for granted around them. You know, I, I, I thank God that I've been able to associate with different people that I believe are, are great men and women of God. For one is, uh, you know, Brother Hagen. I've been able to be around him a lot. But it's amazing, you know, you, people, I've seen other people that were around him a lot, and after a while, because they find out he's a human being. How many know that everybody's a human being? That, you know, he, he does not, you know, wake up in the morning and command his pants to stand up in the corner. <laughs> And it's translated into them. <laughs> but you see, I mean, I've read about people, you know, great men and women of God of the past, that people around them, you know, treated them like dirt. Or just treated them as though they were common. Or just, you know, and later on, maybe after many, many years of faithful ministry, they're just hung out with nothing, no support, no help. And then later on, people realize this was a great person of God. Now they're already gone. One of my grandmother's favorite sayings, she's gone home to be with the Lord now. One of her favorite sayings was, give them the roses while they live. And that's a good thought, isn't it? You know, if you're going to cry over your mother, over your father at the funeral, oh, what a great mom she was. Did you ever tell her why she's alive? Oh, I want to spend a lot of money on the funeral and make it big. Well, you could have done something while they were alive. We ought to live today so that we'll have no regrets 
tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Now's the time. Now's the hour. This is the opportunity that we have. When something comes up in your heart to say, say it. Tell people they're valuable. Tell them they're precious. Tell them they're important. Tell them you appreciate them. Comes within your power to do something for somebody, do it. I said, do it. Sometimes people are always waiting until they can get more. One of these days when my ship comes in. One of these days when I hit it big. Well, are they going to still be around then? (laughs) Is that what I'm saying? I realize there are some time elements and some things, but you understand what I'm saying too. Recognize the time of visitation. Recognize the hour of opportunity. Recognize what's valuable and what's precious. People are precious. I said people are precious. Much more precious than things. People are precious. And anything that you do for a person that touches their life has eternal benefits. Because we're going to be around. You know, it'll help you relax even in this life to realize that I am an eternal spirit. Not in the sense of God having existed from eternity past, but do you realize that it is true, you and I are going to be around forever. That's a long time. Right? I mean, ten millennia from now, you and I will be very much alive and well. Much more aware than we are even now in these temporal dulling bodies. <laughs> and it'll help you to relax, to realize I'm going to be around. Not down here for always, but I'm going to be around. But people are valuable. We need to stir ourselves up to see each other as valuable. We may go into some detail about You know, different individuals that God says to honor. And then, you know, how to honor them. Some specifics on how to do it. Because you know you don't know anything unless you've been taught. And unless it's something taught from the Word, it may not be any good anyway. So teaching from the Word we're talking about. Go with me over to 2 Timothy, if you're holding your place there. 2 Timothy 2. Sit out loud, give them the roses while they live. So we're talking about while they can smell them, while they can see them, while they can appreciate them. Second Timothy, the second chapter, verse 20. It says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, the dishonorable things, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet, set apart, and fit for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. We began talking this morning about qualities of honor. And, you know, the opposite of the quality would be the thing that we'd need to purge ourselves from. We want to be vessels of honor. 
And what are the things that make one honorable? What are the qualities? They're actually qualities of God. How many understand God is honorable? He's the most honorable. Right? You know, you may think this is humorous, but you ought to go ahead and give yourself uh, a designation and a prefix. And that is the honorable. The honorable Pastor George Pearsons. Right? The honorable Terry Pearsons. The honorable. You ought to try that on just, just frequently. So, well, I'm not a judge. It's not just for judges. Every child of God is to be honorable. And we need to get that into our mentality that we are honorable. We are honorable vessels. Vessels of honor. Vessels that contain honor. And precious things of God. We begin giving you know, specifics of qualities that God holds as precious and valuable and honorable. And so that we should do the same. Let me review just a little bit. Number one, righteousness makes one honorable. Now I'm not talking about just the fact that you're made righteous in Christ. That's a legal aspect of it. But I'm talking about that you love what is right. And you do what is right. You love what is just. You love what is fair. You love what is good and right. The psalmist said, the righteous Lord loves righteousness. If God loves it, we ought to love it. Right? We ought to, things that are unfair, things that are not just, they ought to bother us. Things that are perverted, things that are distorted, it ought to bother us. We don't like them. We detest them. Do you know that it is okay to hate sin? That you're supposed to. You don't have much salt in you if you don't. Love sinners. Hate sin. Love sick people. Hate sickness. Love poor people. Hate poverty. Do you hate poverty? I, I detest it. I despise it. I mean, just like it's the plague. Some great, big, ugly, green, bubbly stuff. I, I despise, don't you? I hate sickness. There's nothing good you can say about being sick. There's not one thing you can say good about being poor. I've been poor. Didn't enjoy it at all. <laughs> don't know one thing you know that I got being poor that I couldn't have got that was good being rich no but we are to love what is right now involved in what is right is the truth the truth is right God's word is right about everything and we are to love the truth and we're to hate lies. We're to hate dishonesty. You cannot be a man or woman of honor and be a liar and be a deceiver. I mean, I, that, that's so strong in me. I, if I could stand up on top of the roof and yell it and get it across better, I would. As a man of God, as a woman of God, you don't even think about lying. You don't even think about 
trying to trick somebody or deceive somebody, there's only one route, that's the truth. Only one. I mean, when you get in a tight, I mean, the truth can be uncomfortable at times. The truth can make you look bad. If it's true, though, it's true. And when you get to a situation, there'll be times the enemy will come and try to tempt you to tell something that's not right or leave the wrong impression or be deceptive. But if you've already got your mind made up, it's hard for him to do much with you. You just need to say, as far as I'm concerned, there is no option. I never have any option to tell anything beside the truth. There is no alternative. If so, if you do that, you give away your honor. A big part of you being an honorable person is being a person of your word. You know, you can't be a person of faith if you're not a person of your word. You can't be. Faith, your faith won't work if you're a liar. Mark eleven twenty three. anybody know it? I've heard it a few times too. It's still good. I said it's wonderful and good. I've heard people talk about, because, you know, because we teach on Mark 11, 23 and 24. They say, well, y'all are just Haganites, and Copelanites, and Copelahaganites. <laughs> I heard that one time, and I just said, I said, no, wait up, wait up. Who said Mark 11, 23? Brother Hagan? I don't think so. Brother Copeland? I don't think so. Who said... If you'll say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say comes to pass, you will have what you say. Who said you will have what you say? I think it was Jesus. I guess that'd make us Jesusites. Hallelujah. Make Brother Copeland, make Brother Hagen, whoever teaches it, Jesusites. I think it's all right to be a Jesusite. Amen. Amen. But did you notice that he said, if you believe, what? What if you've got to believe in that verse for it to work for you? Believe what God says. That's a prerequisite, but that's not what he said. You've got to believe what you say. Well, if you're a liar, you know in your heart you know your word's no good. You not only have to believe in what God says, you've got to believe in what you say. That's why I say if you're a liar, you have a very difficult time living a life of faith. Do you know that that is the reason why that people do not reach goals in life? It's simply because their, their word is not honorable. You know, the Bible says in James 3 that if you can control your mouth, control your tongue, you can control your whole body. Is that true? It's a fact. If you control your mouth, you can control your whole body. Now, that ought to be good news. You might say, I, can, I, I wish I could control this body. I wish I could lose some weight. I wish I could do this. I wish I could shape up. I wish I could stop this habit. I wish I could stop my spending, overspending. I wish I could do this. Well, that's either true or it's not. How can you control it? How can you do it? Now, don't, don't, don't forsake me now. You, according to the Word, can you control your body totally yes. with your mouth? Yes. That's good news. Lord, we don't have to find a special pill. 
Or an operation? Or somebody's special set of books? Or your mouth. Your mouth. Special book. How, how do you do it? Simple. If your word is good, your word will control you. There's been times in my life, especially, you know, back, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, when I first began to answer the call to go into the ministry, I had a habit or two that I needed to drop off and leave behind. And uh, this is, in that case and in every case since then, this is how I've done it. It's exactly how it's worked for me and helped me to discipline myself. I do it with my words. And because I count my word to be a word of integrity and I believe in my words, it's binding. And that's the end of it. And that's what holds me when my flesh would try to pull me one way or the other. I just look at it. I think about it. I don't just say something rashly because I know if I say it, I'm going to do it. Why can't people reach gold? Because their word's no good. They'll say, well, I'm not eating any dessert for the rest of the week because I've been eating too much. But two days later, they have two pieces of pie. And people laugh. But it just means you're a liar. And there's nothing funny about it. Now, if you want to eat pie, eat pie. Say you're going to eat pie and eat pie. But if you let it come out of your mouth that I'm not eating pie, then if you eat a bite of pie, you are a liar and dishonorable. And it's a serious, serious thing. You understand what I'm saying? Do you see why people have difficulty? It's really quite simple. If your word was good, you could whip it. Thank you for those three nods. <laughs> it's a fact. I mean, you know, uh, let me give you an example. Just uh, last year, at the beginning of the year, I realized I had been watching too much TV. Anybody relate? Man, it's easy to do, isn't it? And, uh, you know, you sit down there, flip the channel and flip the channel, and next thing you know, two hours are gone by, three hours are gone by. Man, you can blow three or four hours in front of the TV without even trying. Acting like you got all that time to burn. I've done it. Oh, man. I've, and I saw, you know, I keep doing it. I, and I, I got up and I thought, you know, I need to quit spending so much time. I ain't got time to watch that much TV. And next thing you know, I've done it again. Next thing you know, I've done it again. Next thing, I, and I see what I've got to do. I've got to get my words out on this. You understand what I'm talking about now? I need something. My flesh is, is acting weak in this area. I've got I to get something strong that will help me break off of that. So I prayed about it one afternoon, one evening, thought about it, thought about it, prayed, and I just stood up before the Lord. I said, Lord, I say before you, in your name, I will not watch any TV, any secular TV or anything of that nature for the rest of the year. In Jesus' name. I wrote it down. I signed my name. Put it in my pocketbook. Now, I cannot do it 
for the rest of that year. You understand what I'm talking about? That was 96. I cannot, if, if I do, I'm a liar. If I do, what does my word mean? What does it mean to the Lord? What does it mean to me? And if my word is no good, what do I have? What does it mean when I say something? Are you with me, friends? I'm telling you, the Bible is true. You can control your whole body. You can control your whole life. You can move mountains if you have a word of integrity and faith in your heart. Glory to God. Now listen to me carefully. Don't, don't say things rashly that you regret. And you've got to watch about saying, I'll never do this. That's a long time. <laughs> For the rest of my life, I'm never... Watch it, watch it, watch it. Did the Lord tell you to do that? If he did, okay, but you better know that he did. That's why I said, you know, for the rest of the year. Because <laughs> I knew that would break me out of that, you know. You still what I'm saying? And it'll help you. Whatever the area might be, think about it, pray about it, you know, lay yourself before the Lord on it, and then when you need to, stand up before Him and say it before Him. And when you say it, let it be like a rock. And I'm telling you, if you'll do that, you can use your mouth to get you out of anything and to break off anything. Some things are like pulling out your eye, like cutting off your hand. It's become a part of you. But if you've got a word of integrity, if you have a word of honor, then hallelujah, God's got what he needs to help you and give you the grace to come out. And you're not even bothered that much. You're not even tempted that much. You know, I must have had, you know, hundreds of people ask me about seeing a movie with them then. <laughs> After I said that. But I can't. Somebody said, what, wasn't you tempted? No, I can't even think about it. I mean, it's not, you're not tempted that bad when you won't even let yourself think about it. What's to think about? I'm either a liar or it's done. Right? I'm talking about being a person of honor, a person of integrity. The Bible says in Psalm 15, in fact, why don't you just turn there and look at it. It wouldn't hurt you to look at it. Psalm 15.1, 15, 15.1 says, Lord, who shall abide in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He that walks uprightly and works righteousness and what? Speaks the truth in his heart. He that backbites not with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned. In other words, they detest what God detests. For, but, he that honor, but he honors them that fear the Lord. See, one characteristic of an honorable man is that they honor those that honor God. Those that fear the Lord. He that what? Swears to his own hurt and changes not. There may be times when you wish you hadn't said that. You told them you'd come help them. 
And then as it turns out, you shouldn't have said that. Well, unless, unless you can talk to them and there's a good reason for you to be released from it or whatever, you better be there, you better do it. Right? And there's some things that you can say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, and it's to your own hurt. There's some things you can make commitments that cost you money. Right? You know the issue of debt. We live in a society where a lot of people think nothing about filing bankruptcy. It's just a common thing. And beat people out and, and, and people lose money because of them, right and left. There's people that incur huge debts and never intending to pay them. The Bible the psalmist said, the wicked borrows and pays not again. But debt, you know, besides so many other reasons that it's a problem, the biggest issue where debt is concerned is your word. If you said you would do this, after you get into it, whether you think it's fair or unfair or good or not, that's not the issue. The issue is you said you would do something. You signed your name, right? Well, I can get out of it. Well, can you get out of your word, though? If you said you would do it, if you gave your word, then the money is no longer the issue. Your integrity is the issue. Right? I mean, it's I hear, we travel all over. I hear pastors all the time telling me about people that said they would, you know, we, we're, we're in a meeting, special meeting maybe. I'm speaking or whatever. And they, they are, there's pastors or whoever comes in in a panic and goes, we don't have the people in the nursery. The people's not in the parking lot. The people, you know, uh, they all signed up. They said they'd be there. They're not there. And they're having to uh, rush around and, and try to get this and try to get going. Well, that is... Uh, what does it mean? It means they're dishonorable. Dishonorable. I mean, if an emergency came up, okay, call. Let them know. Talk to them or whatever. But if not, and you said you would, then there you are. Right? Maybe it's inconvenient. Maybe you said it to your own hurt. Well, that's one of the characteristics of a quality, godly, honorable individual. Even if it hurts you, even if it costs you. Your word is a word of integrity. Can you say amen? amen? Now the second thing we talked about is graciousness. Graciousness will make you honorable. It's part of being honorable. Proverbs eleven sixteen. you don't have to turn to these, but it says a gracious woman retains honor. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that the members of the body that we think to be less honorable, upon these we are to bestow more abundant honor. You know, that's one thing the Bible says about husbands honoring their wives. How? As the what? Weaker vessel. This is part of being gracious. If you have strength, if you have blessing and you handle it and use it in such a way that you intimidate others, that you make them feel less, then you are not honorable. In fact, do you understand, that's what Paul wrote to the saints at Corinth in the 11th chapter, preceding what we call the Lord's Supper communion passage. He wrote to them, he said, I, I hear 
some things about you. I'm going to paraphrase the whole thing now. I hear some things about you. That you're coming together and what you're calling the Lord's Supper is not the Lord's Supper. Because one comes and eats and is gluttonous and one drinks and gets drunk and while somebody else is hungry. And notice what he said. He said, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise them that have not? See, they were flaunting, the ones that had something were flaunting it in front of the ones that didn't. Here's somebody with a ten-course meal making a pig out of themselves. Here's somebody with a half a sandwich on the other side watching. And the Lord was, was irritated with them about that. And Paul reproved them and rebuked them. You know, we ought, to, we ought to always be conscious and aware of other people and their feelings. Now, I don't mean if God allows you to have more than somebody else that you feel guilty because you have it. No. But at the same time, you always, sometimes you need to make an extra effort to make people feel comfortable. Right? And to be gracious. The Bible said, don't be high-minded, but condescend to men of low estate. Right? You know, I don't care what God has done for you, what He's given you, what He's blessed you. You're still the same old boy. Same old girl. Right? And how many understand, I, you, you can think you're on top of the world. You can have 12 houses and 20 cars and everything, and tomorrow that could be different. Except for the grace of God. Right? I mean, everything down here is moving and changing. Constantly. And anything that we have is by the grace of God. Right? You might be sleeping in a good house and wearing good clothes and eating good food. But except for the mercy of God, you'd be on the street. Right? And I mean, except for the sustaining of God, in a few days you could be on the street. You must say, but I got all my stuff paid off. I got them. I'm telling you, tomorrow you could be on the street, except for God's grace, right? And mercy. Keeping those truths in mind, you won't treat other people as though they're inferior. And one of the great signs of honor is how you deal with somebody when they're down, even when they mess their own self up. A gracious person, uh, one definition of that means that you are kind, that you extend favors when they are neither deserved nor expected. You do things that are not deserved and not expected. You're gracious. That'll cause people to respect you. That'll cause them to love you. That'll cause them to honor you. And you'll be showing what God is like. Because God... <laughs> is above everybody and above everything, and yet he stoops to the lowest. Doesn't he? And, is, and allows himself to be approached by the most base and the lowest of humanity. So being gracious makes you honorable. Thirdly, being generous makes you honorable. Everybody say generous. You don't have to be rich to be generous. Did you know that? That was pretty weak. <laughs> Something my granddad used to always say, uh, 
they weren't rich by any stretch. But, you know, we grew most of our own food, had big gardens always, and even some livestock to slaughter themselves and what have you. And people would come over and he'd say, well, such as it is, you're welcome to it. It might not be, you know, fancy meal, but such as it is, you're welcome to it. And they'd invite people over, you know. I mean, they had two bedrooms in the house, and it was open. I mean, the thing was open, and they'd invite 15 people to come sleep over. <laughs> people come over, and they said, well, why don't y'all just spend the night? Now, today we'd think, where? <laughs> but they'd just throw a pallet on the floor. People sleeping on the porch, people sleeping on the floor, people sleeping in the kitchen. Get up in the night, you better watch where you step. <laughs> but we got folk now that are, I mean, they wouldn't dare invite somebody home with them for a meal or much less to spend a night because they're embarrassed about what they have and where they are. And sometimes out of pride are trying to project that they're at a place that they're not and try to leave the impression that they're at a place that they're not, and so they don't want people to know how they really live and where they are. And that can cause you not to be generous. I don't care if you just got two loaves of bread. You can be generous, right? You can give one and a half of them away if you want to, right? Generosity is not determined by what you have. It's your heart, right? According to what a man has, not according to what he doesn't have. And there's no excuse for being stingy, ever. Being stingy is dishonorable. It is not God-like. How many know God is not stingy? Thank God he's not. You come to him for blessings, you don't have to pull it out of his hand. He's not hoarding it like, now I've got to watch my blessings, I don't want to run low. <laughs> he is generous. You come and ask him for wisdom, what will he do? He giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Hallelujah! That's where we ought to be. When you have faith, you can be generous. See, the, the, the thing that makes you stingy is selfishness and unbelief. You think, well, yeah, but if I give this away, I won't have any. And then if I don't have any, I'll be without. The thing is, there's a lot more where this came from if you have faith. Right? When you have faith, man, you can just open your pocketbook. You can just write the check. You can just go, yeah, let it go. Well, you'll run out. There's more coming in. Amen. A lot more where that came from. Faith is what makes you generous. I said faith. 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 You don't have to get that calculator out and figure that tip to the nth penny. Round it off on the fat side. Just, they probably won't faint if you leave them an extra five dollars. I mean, what do you think they're going to do? Stand there and go, what am I going to do with all this money? <laughs> being generous. I said being generous. Being generous. And you know, you can be generous in so many ways. Sometimes little things. It's not just that you give people stuff. You can give people your time. You can give people your attention. And just treat them like they're important. Treat them like they're valuable. It can really be a blessing. 
I know some, some of the things that have been precious to me throughout my few short years of life is times that people, especially years ago when I was first getting started in the ministry, nobody knew me, nobody thought I was anything special, you know, to speak of. And yet there were some people here and there that saw something in me even beyond what I saw. And they treated me like I was important. I know I was, uh, uh, was able to buy a sports car. It was a used one. But it was a big deal to me. It was a 91 Corvette. And it didn't have, it didn't have but about 16,000 miles on it. Bright yellow. They see you coming three miles away. You know. <laughs> and uh, I just I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I went up to pick it up, and a pastor friend of mine lived nearby. Well, he heard I was coming. He came to meet me at the dealership. They're all dressed up. They're acting like this is a major event. His boys are there. People are there. They're thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. I closed the deal, bought the car. He said, have you got to go right now? And I said, well, no. He said, boys, go. They had built a big, uh, very, very nice barn facility. They called it a barn, but it's very, you could live in it, you know. He said, go heat the barn up. It was wintertime. He tapped one of his guys, gave him some money. He said, go buy some of the best polish you can find. Go get some things. And he told some, some other his children, you know, go uh, make some sandwiches and prepare some things. And so we went back and entourage. I mean a convoy. Back to the house. <laughs> back to his place. And they pulled my car in. And he said, now, I, they, they were going to wash it. I said, well, I can. He said, no, you sit down. You sit down. You just watch. So we sat down. And he, he said, that's what I made those boys for. And, uh, <laughs> that's the way he talks. And, uh, <laughs> and so he and I sat there and drank cold beverages and ate sandwiches. And they cleaned that thing with a fine-tooth comb. They polished it till you could have combed your hair looking in the fender. And then they all, we all just stood back and looked at it. He said, oh, that's nice, Keith. That's nice. Man, said, they made a big deal. Now, you know, it probably didn't cost him that much money. I'm saying you don't always have to spend a huge amount to, to do something for somebody. But that blessed me. That ministered to me. You understand what I'm saying? Why? He honored me. I said he honored me. Treated me like I was important. Treated me like what, what was going on was important, which it was to me. It was. And so, you know, it was real satisfying. Just, just a blessing. We can be doing those kind of things all the time. Can't we? If we'll quit being so selfish and quit just thinking about what we've got going on and what we want to do and look up once in a while and see what's going on with other people. Right? And just take the time, make the effort, spend a little money, do what needs to be done, and, and you know, throw somebody a party. Make a big deal out of it. Bless them. Can you say amen? amen? I didn't lose you somewhere, did I? Hallelujah. Being generous will make you an honorable individual. Number four, let's talk about. I know I've already said these, but I didn't quite get, get out what I wanted to. So is that all right if I do some of these things again? I don't want to cheat you. I don't want to short you. I want you to get the whole roll. The fourth quality we talked about is wisdom. The Bible said if you exalt wisdom, she will bring you to honor. 
and that the wise shall inherit glory. A big part of wisdom is thinking about the future, thinking about the repercussions of a thing that you do or that you say. If you'll just pause and think and let God give you wisdom, it'll cause you to be honorable. Instead of having to get up and backtrack because you move too fast all the time and talk too fast, slow down, be quick to hear, right? And what? Slow to speak. Slow to be angry. Slow to wrath. You know, a lot of people practice that in reverse. (laughs) Quick to get hot, quick to mouth off, and slow to listen. Good listeners are not everywhere. Even sometimes if you think somebody's listening to you, they're nodding their head, but they're loading their guns behind their back. (laughs) But what they're going to say, just as soon as you shut up, then they're going to fire, you know. But for somebody to actually listen to you and endeavor to understand what you're saying, significantly, that's not everywhere found. But honorable people are that way. Fifthly, what will make you an honorable individual is to be self-controlled and or stable. Being self-controlled. Now you understand all of these are qualities of God, aren't they? Is God... Uh, righteous? Amen. Is he generous? Is he gracious? Is he wise? Is he stable? Are you kidding? (laughs) Stable. Oh my. He changes not. Well, how ought you to be? (laughs) Change with the weather? You have to watch about being moody. Being moody is not being spiritual. God is not moody, nor should you be moody. (laughs) Being up, being down, being in, being out is not godly. It's not spiritual. Being mature, I mean, and and all of us are born spiritual babies, and babies fluctuate a lot. How many babies can go from sweet, quiet, to blaring and annoying at light speed? I mean, there they are. Everything was fine, and then they go, there they go. That's a baby. Are you a baby? Hmm? Well, if we asked some of your family, what would they say? <laughs> Do they have to come into the room and kind of check the spirit, your spiritual temperature before they say too much? Because, well, how's he doing today? I don't know. Has he had his coffee? Did she smile? Or she got that wrinkle, you know? (laughs) If you are moody, and if you are unstable, people will lose respect for you. It's just a fact. 
And one of the worst things you could do is to take your frustrations out on an innocent party. Would God do that? Hmm? Thank God he won't. What if he got real miffed with some folk over in Africa? <laughs> and about that time, you come to him to pray. <laughs> and he's so mad with these people, he doesn't know what to do. And you show up and go, Hi, Father, good morning. But he says, What do you want? What? What? Tired of seeing you all the time. You always want something all the time. You're all the same. And you back out and go, whoa. Catch Gable on the way out and go, man, why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you warn me and tell me before I went in there? We do not have to check with the angels to see if God's doing all right or if he's having a good day before we go in. Because we can count on this. He will be exactly like he was the last time we communed with him, which is the way he was a thousand years ago, which is the way he'll be ten thousand years from now. He changes not. Now I realize we haven't arrived in this. But are you working on it? Are you striving for it? Are you catching yourself anytime you start to yield this way or that way and say, wait up, wait up, I can't do that. I can't yield to that. I said, one of the most dishonorable things you can do is if you are upset about something or frustrated about something or with somebody and then you take it out on somebody else. That's dishonorable. It's not right. It's being unstable. Not being established. It's easy to do. You know? I mean, we've, I've dealt with different situations where you deal with problems before. And sometimes if you deal with a problem after a problem after a problem after a problem, and people act like heathens and yahoos, and, and then the next person comes in, it makes you want to look at them and go, What? <laughs> you know, like, what are you, What's your problem now? What do you want? But if you're mature and you're stable, you don't do that. You're able to shut the door on things and turn to a clean page. To be mature and to be honorable means you can have something just bothering you majorly, but if you need to, you can push it aside and deal with this without letting that affect you. I won't tell you that's always easy. But God does it. God can be angry, ready to judge something over here, but when you walk in to talk to him, you'll never pick that up about him towards you. Right? You'll never sense one iota of it. I says, yeah, but he's God, Brother Keith. He's God. <laughs> yeah, and you're his child. Made in his likeness. Made in his image. Called to the high calling of total Christ-likeness. What are we reaching for? The mark, for the prize, or the high calling. What is that? What is the bullseye? What is the mark? It is total Christ-likeness. That's what it is. That's the bullseye. 
Have we attained the total Christ life? Well, just like Paul, we're, we'd be quick to say, I don't count myself to have apprehended or arrived, but this one thing I do, forgetting the stuff that's behind, I might have been Mr. Moody personified. <laughs> you might have been Miss Spastic. You might have been Mr. Emotional Roller Coaster Deluxe. But, I said, but, that was then. Forgetting the things, forgetting them. Yeah, but I've been that, forget it. Yeah, but I've had so much trouble. Forget it. Forget it. Get the stuff behind. Look forward. How would Jesus handle this? Well, that's exactly how you're supposed to. Can you find a better example of how to deal with a thing? Well, then just do it like he would do it. And you can. I said you can. An honorable person is in control of their emotions, of their temper, of their feelings, of their body. They're in control. You see people get mad. Break furniture, slap people, kick the dog. You know what I'm saying? And then I, I've, I've had people look at me and go, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be like that, Brother Keith. I don't want to be like that. I just, you know, my daddy was that way, and, and I just always been that way, and I just got a bad temper, and I didn't, you know, before I know it, I've just done, no, no, no. You're making excuses. It's amazing. I've seen guys that wanted to slap their wives around. You know? And just couldn't help it. Just got so mad. Next thing they knew, they just slapped them across the room. And they just, they can't help it. They can't help it. But it's amazing. You take a guy like that, put him with a guy that's about twice as big as he is. You know? About 6'5". Weighs about 300 pounds. Not fat. And uh, it's amazing. He can get just as mad as the other place, but he won't rear up and slap that guy. People do what they can get away with. That's what happens. People do what they can get away with. Now, don't misunderstand. If you have yielded to your temper, if you have yielded to things year after year, it is a deep groove in your mentality. It's easy to just slip that in there. You yield to something long enough, you can do it almost without thinking about it. But no matter what it is, you can break it. Because whose mind is it? It's yours. Whose body is it? It's yours. Whose temper is it? Whose feel? It's yours. If you're not in control, who is You're supposed to be. Now part of this, you're to be in control of your mind. You're to be in control of your feelings, your emotions. You're to be in control of your body. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians, if you would. 1 Thessalonians 4. And while you're going there, I'll read, you, read a few other scriptures to you. 1 Thessalonians 4, you're going to. The Bible says that he that's slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that rules his spirit better than he that takes a city. Hallelujah. It's wonderful to be in control 
of your own self. 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul's writing to them and he begins to talk to them about controlling their body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. He said, this is the will of God. Even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Possess his vessel. That means you're in control. Doesn't it? I mean, I've had men talk to me uh, privately and say, well, you know, talking about a woman that they were tempted to try to get involved with. And they said, hey, I'm, I'm just a man. What does that mean? Sometimes people try to act like, well, hey, you know, I'm just, I'm just human. I mean, uh, I'm just a horse. You wave a carrot in front of my nose and I got to follow. How many know that's a lie? We're children of God. Amen. We're children of the Most High. People do what they decide to do. They yield to what they decide to yield to. They try to play games about it. But nobody has to. You can be honorable. And one of the quickest things that will dishonor you is sin in these areas. The writer of the proverb talks about that if you get involved, he talked about the wayward woman. He said if you get involved with her, you will give your honor to others. It will cost you. The Bible talked in, in Leviticus, what is it, the 18th chapter, I think it is. Or so I mean, it must be a half a dozen verses down through there where he talks about you don't have sexual relations with your relatives or with this or with that one or the other. He said, because if you do, you will dishonor your father. You dishonor your mother. You dishonor yourself. The Bible talks about in Romans, the first chapter, that because people did not want and like the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a reprobate mind, and they wound up defiling themselves and dishonoring their own bodies. And specifically there, He's talking about lesbianism and homosexuality. He's very specific and plain about it. I know that in our society today, that, I mean, it is becoming increasingly politically incorrect to say anything negative about the alternate lifestyle, but it is dishonorable. I said it's dishonorable. It's defiling. It is against nature. That's Bible, right? We, we're, we can't back off Bible. We love people. Everybody and anybody that's involved in any kind of sin, but you're not going to make us say that something is dishonorable is honorable and acceptable. It's not. I said it's not. And if you're going to be an honorable man or an honorable woman, you must control your appetites. Your sexual appetites and all of your appetites. Yes, we have appetites, but they've got to be controlled. Right? And what's good and what's right in the marriage union and in the marriage bed, I mean, don't you remember Hebrews 13 said, marriage is honorable. And the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, God will judge. Those things are dishonorable. 
Man, I mean, you have to watch about all the materials on the secular movies and programs and the magazines. I mean, they act like sleeping around is just acceptable. And hey, everybody, you know, uh, what, the vast majority of people are going to have affairs during the course of their life. That's totally unacceptable. Totally. No excuse. It's dishonorable. And if you want to make your name mud and ruin yourself in the eyes of your children and your wife and your husband and the people that should respect you, then you just let your body follow it wherever you want to and you'll ruin yourself. You understand what the Word is talking about now? To be honorable means you are stable and it means you are self-controlled. That's with all of your appetites. Let's go to another point here. I think we got a little bit more time. Have I worried you out yet? Or? You okay? Another thing that makes you uh, honorable is humility. This is the sixth one we've talked about. Humility. The Bible says honor will uphold the humble in spirit. Before honor is humility. And then this is a whole teaching within itself. But being humble involves being teachable and correctable. Proverbs 13.18 says, He that regards reproof shall be honored. If you are a person that can be taught, you are honorable. You know, there are a number of individuals that just, it, it just bothers them too bad to admit that you're right and I'm wrong. They choke on it. And if somebody is right, and you're wrong, and you refuse to acknowledge it, and try to push over the wrongness over them anyway, when you yourself know that you're wrong, they're going to lose respect for you right now. Because you're acting dishonorable. What's the honorable thing to do? You say, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And put a period after it. <laughs> Are you with me? You're right. I'm wrong. Period. Because what's the tendency of the human? <laughs> and then you go on. Pride makes excuses. Humility makes adjustments. Pride will give you all kind of reasons why it didn't work, why I couldn't do it, why I couldn't help it. Humility will just say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, it's changing right now. It'll be, we'll be different next time. Humility is part of, you know, us being honorable. It's a big part of it. Man, you appreciate it when you see somebody that really has a place over you and they, your boss, or your supervisor, your pastor, your leader, whoever, somebody that's your elder, whatever, but they're not too proud to look at you and acknowledge something that you're right in, or even acknowledge that they're wrong about something. That's a big person, isn't it? When they don't have to say that to you, they could just tell you to be quiet and go on your way. I know I'll never forget, I was, uh, I guess, a pre-teenager, 
just before I hit my teens, maybe about 12 or 13. My dad and my mom had a fight. Now, they hardly ever, I mean, I'm sure they had disagreements, but we didn't know about it. But, I mean, they had a fight. I don't mean, he didn't beat her up, and I don't mean anything like that, but they had some harsh words. And our little house we lived in, it just, you know, you see everything, hear everything. And uh, they had some hard words. And uh, my little brother and I were asleep, supposed to be sleeping, <laughs> in the same bed. He and I are looking at each other going, oh, what's going on? You know, this, this doesn't usually happen. The next day, I'll never forget it, my dad called my little brother and I, he's three years younger than me, out under the big oak tree in front of the house there. And he looked at us, he said, boys, uh, your daddy was wrong last night. Things I said, things I did. I don't, he didn't break up the furniture, he didn't hit her. But they just spoke hard, you know, hard words. He said, uh, uh, I want you to know your daddy was wrong. I shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have said that. I want you all to forgive me. Well, that did not belittle him in my eyes, did it? Did not diminish him at all. You know, as ministers, it's amazing, some ministers kind of try to leave the impression that they know everything about everything. But you don't. I've had, I've had different groups that work with me in prayer school and healing school that I worked with on a daily basis. I'm teaching them constantly, teaching them in private and individual ways. And there were some things I've gone back to them later and said, guys, you know that thing I taught you about, this particular thing? Yeah, 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 I've been teaching that around the country. I said, uh, it's wrong. <laughs> it's not right. I just realized it myself a while back. Well, you don't want to do that. But what's right is what's right. And I mean, they should have known I don't know everything. Right? They shouldn't just be shocked and fall off their chair and go, oh my Lord, he was wrong. I want to say something might be shocking to you. Nobody you know is right about everything. <laughs> Except the Lord. He's right about everything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when's the last time you said I'm wrong? Has it been that long? <laughs> no, I'm joking, but you know. Is it hard for you? Do you choke on it? If so, make some adjustments. Be a humble person. Be an honorable individual. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Can you give me just a few, few more minutes? Yes. Seventh thing that helps to make you honorable is faith. Can you believe that? Yes. Faith is honorable. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1, 7, he says that the trial of your faith being much more what? Precious than of gold. Which is worth more, faith or gold? Faith or money? No question, faith. Much more precious than gold that perishes. See, gold perishes 
All the elements on this planet are going to melt with fervent heat. But your faith you will carry with you. Every bit of faith that you've developed in this life, you will take with you into the next life. Not only will you take it with you, but though it be tried with fire, it will be found unto praise and unto honor and unto glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, when the Lord returns to the earth, shall he find faith. Faith is a big deal to God. And when he does return, and when you and I are there, and we stand before him, we're not going to stand there alone. Our faith is going to be with us. Hallelujah. And our faith will be honored. The more faith you have, the more honored you'll be. Glory to God. We could talk a lot about faith, but I mean, you've heard a lot about faith. But do you know that it's honorable? It's dishonorable when you know how to believe God and the storms of life hit and you go run, curl up on the bed and cry and act like somebody that doesn't know how to believe God. That's dishonorable. That's being weak. What's honorable is when it looks like it's all past. It looks like it's too late. It's looked like there's no way you can come out of this and everything says that you won't, but you stand up and you say, I believe God. It'll be just like He told me. You just watch when the dust clears and the smoke settles, I'll be standing here with the answer. The Word will ever... That honors God. That, that honors Him. That pleases Him. I believe when you stand up in the most adverse circumstances, it makes God just want to stand up with you and smile. That's my boy. That's my girl. Believe in me in the worst of circumstances. It's honorable. Honorable. Let people scoff and mock faith if they want to. They'll be lightly esteemed. But you and I that honor faith will be honored. And our faith will be honored. An eighth thing, and just have this one in one more, eighth thing that makes you honorable is dignity. Everybody say dignity. Some people have totally discarded dignity because they think it's hand in hand with uh, human ego and pride. That's not so. In fact, we're told to be dignified. I won't take the time to read it, but in the Amplified, in 1 Timothy 3, and also in Titus 2, he talks about that the leaders and the elders are to be dignified. And they're to conduct themselves in a dignified manner. What does it mean to be dignified? It doesn't mean to be pompous. It doesn't mean to think that you're superior and better than everybody else. It does mean that you value yourself. This is the issue, isn't it? That you value yourself, you value your call, you value who you are and what you are. Paul said, was it Romans 11, 13, I think it is? He said, I magnify my office. Now see, to some ears, that doesn't sound quite right. You think, no, Paul, you're to magnify the Lord. You magnify your office. Well, he didn't call himself to that office. When you run down yourself 
and your situation and your place, you wind up despising what God has done. You need to respect the gift and the call in your life just as much as you would in somebody else's life because it comes from exactly the same source. Right? You've got to watch about when God uses you and God does something through you and somebody says, boy, praise God, that was good. And you say, oh, oh it was nothing. Oh, and she's trying to be humble. Oh, it's, oh, that's not much, you know. Well, the thing that God blessed you with and given you, you know, you're gifting, you're gracing, you know, that's wonderful. And you go, oh, well, you know, that's just, that's just me. No, it ain't just you. Without his anointing and grace, you couldn't find the door. <laughs> you better realize that when something good happens and comes through you, it, it was God. It was the gifting. It was the, And you need to honor that anointing. You need to honor that gifting and anointing on your life. One of the big things I struggled with was me being anointed. I had the Lord deal with me. I remember it distinctly in, at the healing center in my office, in the floor. I was praying, and the Lord kept dealing with me. You have a healing anointing on you. And I kept thinking, well, Brother Hagin's got a tangible healing anointing. He said, you have, and you need to acknowledge it, and you need to value it, and you need to esteem it. Well, I, I had no problem believing he was anointed. Are you with me? But that wasn't helping me when I was laying hands on the sick. He wasn't around. He was in another state. And I struggled with that. But finally, he got it across to me. It took him a little while. But if I remember distinctly, I stood up in there in my office by myself and I just said it boldly. I am anointed. I am. Keith. And the devil will say, say what? <laughs> Keith Moore from the country in Mississippi is what? Nothing. You're nothing. You're nobody, you're nothing, you can't do it. You've got to say, shut up. You're nothing. You've been, the Bible says, you have been brought to naught. You are. You're the one that has this problem. I don't. <laughs> I was nothing. But I have been made. Hallelujah. A son of God. I have been given an anointing. I've been given the authority in Jesus' name. I've been given revelation. I've been, and it's from Him. So I honor it. I exalt it. And man, the next time I went out and I talked about laying hands on the sick and I stood up and I boldly told Him, I said, i got a healing anointing on me right now to minister to you. It's here. I mean, I sensed it stronger than I ever had in my life. It's not drawing attention to me. Drawing attention to what he's given me. Which is still drawing attention to him. In Acts 3, do you remember that Peter and John sat at the gate called Beautiful? And they came in there and this man's crippled. Uh, they, they walked in, the man sitting there at the gate called Beautiful. And he looked up, masked and armed. And, they, and, and what did Peter say? No, what's, what did he say first? Back up. Look on Look at us. Look on us. You might think, wait up, Peter. Tell him, look to the Lord. What's the next thing he said? 
look on us. Then he said, such as I have. Such as you have? Look at me. I have something. See, some people would stumble on that. They wouldn't say that. That's why they're not recorded in there. (laughs) Well, that kind of thing never happens with me. Would you say that? Would you say, look here, look at me, look at me. I've got something. The Lord sent me. I've got the anointing right now to set you free. It's right here on me. People think, well, oh, dear God, no, no, I wouldn't say that. Well, that's why you wouldn't have it happen. He grabbed him by the hand. He jerked him up. Ankle bones made straight. Then the people gathered and they looked and they were wondering. And then he said, why look ye on us? <laughs> As though by our own power or holiness we may look on us. Why are you looking at us? (laughs) It is not pride to draw attention to what God's done for you or given you or to magnify your place or magnify your office. In fact, Philemon says that we are to acknowledge every good thing which is in us in Christ. Are you acknowledging it? If you realize who you are, what you are, what you've been given... It'll cause you to lift your head up a little bit. Square your shoulders. Because you are something. You're worth something. You have something. Amen. Amen. You can make a difference. That'll cause you to carry yourself with a certain bearing and have a certain dignity about you. You won't just slough around. and you'll, You'll treat your body differently. You'll treat yourself differently. You'll treat your whole life with higher esteem. Because you value yourself, you value what God's given you, what He's done for you. Finally, number nine, what makes us honorable? Being faithful makes you an honorable individual. The Bible says, whoever keeps the fig tree will eat the fruit. He that waits on his master shall be honored. Proverbs 27, 18. Jesus said in John 12, 26, John 12, 26, he said, If a man serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, that's where my servant will be. And if any man serve me, him will my father honor. If you serve God and you're faithful, you will be honored. What does it mean to be faithful? A lot of things you could say about that, but you're talking about being trustworthy. You're talking about being dependable. You're talking about being steadfast and constant. You're talking about being loyal. The proverb said in Proverb 25:19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. The NIV says, like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. 
Now get that picture that he's making. It'll, it'll help you tremendously. What is a bad tooth? Why is that the picture of unfaithfulness? Uh, you take, a, take an apple or a piece of food and you bite down into it. You're counting on that tooth, right, to take care of the food. But if it breaks or if it's bad and it fails you, it hurts, but then it didn't get the job that you were counting on it. What about the lame foot? You're planning on that foot and that ankle supporting your weight. You're relying on it and it fails you. Being unfaithful is when somebody is counting on you and you don't come through. The Bible says that a faithful man, he that's of a faithful spirit, conceals the matter. This is pride. And if I tell somebody, I won't tell anybody, well then how many people do I tell? Not one. The problem is everybody's got somebody they can tell that won't tell. Well, I'm not supposed, they don't want me to tell anybody, so I'm not, you know, don't, you don't tell anybody. Well, you just lied. You just were unfaithful. Are you with me? People do it in the name of prayer request. Well, you know, I'm not supposed to tell this, but, but I just want you to pray. You just were unfaithful. Right? You were unfaithful. You know, God wants to tell us secrets. But He can if you're not faithful. I, I mean, there's things the Lord can tell you that if you tell and let out, it can cause so many problems. There's things that other folk just will not understand. There's reasons for everything that happens or doesn't happen. It might be a mystery to you, but it's not to God. And if you'll commune and fellowship with him, a lot of times he'll tell you. I've had him tell me reasons, and I just, I mean, I was amazed. I thought, well, that's obvious. But you, you know you couldn't tell anybody. You just can't. They wouldn't understand. But it blesses me that he'd tell me. And so if you can't tell it, what good is it? I want to understand. I'm teaching people how to believe and what if it doesn't work? Or if that, I, I like to know. How can I help them? There's reasons why things didn't turn out right. But it blesses me to know that he, 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 he feels like he can tell me and he knows I won't run off and blab it. We've all made mistakes in these areas, but don't look back. Right? Not, you know, forgetting what's behind. From here forward, I am honorable. The honorable... David, the honorable, whatever your name is, said out loud, I am, I am the, honorable the honorable, your name, Keith Moore. <laughs> Say it again. I am the honorable Keith Moore. That's me, the honorable. Keith, not the dishonorable, the honorable. What does that mean? I love righteousness. I love graciousness and mercy and kindness. I love generosity. I love wisdom. Amen? Amen. I love stability and control. I love 
you know, being disciplined and controlled. I love faith. Hallelujah. I love faithfulness. I love all the godly qualities. I love honor. I love God. And I want to be just like Him. Amen? When I grow up, I'm going to be just like my Father. Amen? Glory to God. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Let's lift our hands and thank God for bringing us up to higher levels of Christ-likeness, higher degrees of glory and honor. We'll not be the same. We're coming up. We're being more like you, Lord. Thank you. 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 Hallelujah. Praise you, Master. Praise you, Master. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.